1: Good morning, gentlemen. Good to see you on uh, all on the weekend after the Super Bowl. You've obviously recovered. That's good to see. Or yes, should I say, should, good game. I say the, should I say the Taylor Bowl? But we'll move on. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, I know some of the players got less airtime than Taylor Swift did. That's for sure.
1: Yeah, you know, how do you feel if you're just a poor old lineman? <laughs> But it was
2: a great game. Any game that goes into overtime is a great game. So, uh, you know, good for Kansas City Chiefs. And I'm not sure, is there any news on if, uh, you know, the AFC or the NFC, which is supposed to be good for the markets, Mitch?
3: Uh, Well, Taylor Swift's in the AFC, so I'm going to guess AFC was good for the markets, considering she boosted the NFL by about $350 million. and And the Super Bowl ratings was record highs. About one hundred twenty-three million people average watching at that time, so I think it's, yeah. I think it was good for a few people. Yeah,
2: and I think in general, she's boosted the whole economy and uh, wherever she shows up to do a concert. So yeah, I, I'm going to go with that, Mitch.
3: Yeah, even Usher, uh, Ushers, uh, he got the equivalent of about fifty-three million dollars for that performance in value just from that spot. <laughs> wow, the
2: Taylor effect continues, and and you know what? It's uh, I possibly. Who knows? But uh, last week, uh, interest rates did not draw, drop as much in the U.S. as they had hoped. They had hoped 2.9 percent. They came in at 3.1 percent. Still, you know, way off where they were a year ago at, say, 8 percent. But you know what? Uh, it just kind of says the U.S. really doesn't need the interest rate drops as much as the uh, the Canadians do. And they're, they're not in a recession. The U.S. is doing quite well. Canada is actually hurting a little bit more. And it would, you know, so it may mean that we have to go on a, on a loan, basically go alone on dropping interest rates down the road in order to help our economy, which would hurt our dollar. So, uh, but I know, um, you know, talking about interest rates, so you're talking a little bit about mortgages today, Mitch.
3: Yeah, uh, hot topic all the time It's the housing market. And I know a few of our analysts have, like you just said, that Canada is in a bit of a tougher spot than the U S and they've kind of pointed out that if there was going to be a recession in Canada, it would possibly be the housing sector that would cause it. And that would pretty much be because of the mortgages that were locked in or not locked in, in 2020, 2021. And ever since COVID, there's been a pretty sizable correction in the housing market. And that's uh that's really caused people to have a lot of stress on their budgets and a lot on their monthly cash flow. Um, you've seen a lot of the stock markets are actually hitting all-time highs right now. And so that does mean that the markets are recovering. You see in the US, you have the S&P, have the Dow, they've both hit all-time highs recently. The TSX isn't quite there yet, which is the Toronto Stock Exchange in Canada, but it is slowly getting there. And the housing market does typically lag both sides. So when the market goes down, the housing market will typically go down a little bit slower. And when the market goes up, it'll also typically lag that as well. And most of the reason for that is the liquidity. It's going to take a little bit more time to sell a house than it will be to sell a stock. Uh, there's lots of houses now that, that take months to sell in terms of uh, getting it to someone else. But if you're talking about a stock, you could sell it in, in a few seconds now with technology. Yeah, definitely a buyer's market for the uh, the home side of things a, a
2: vast difference from where it was say two years ago and so yeah but nice thing about stocks is they're always liquid um and you simply just hit the button and say sell buy and you can do that in milliseconds
3: yeah gotta love technology right you weren't weren't able to do that, that back in your day right <laughs> it's, it's still my <laughs> day mitch
1: <laughs> oh how quickly well, we anyways, forget simply- that yeah
3: yeah (laughs) anyways inflation's come down significantly it used to be eight to nine percent and now we're we're and that's why they rose interest rates so heavily but now you're seeing inflation the u.s just recently said that it it was 3.1 percent recently they were expecting 2.9 but they got 3.1 which could mean that they'll keep interest rates higher for a little bit longer uh canada has Don mentioned, said that they probably will lower interest rates a little bit more aggressively because they have to just based off of the structure of mortgages, not being able to lock in for 25 years for the U.S. They can. So the U.S. kind of has an advantage in the terms of a housing market compared to the Canadian side. But you are also seeing fixed rates come down. And. In the last six months, mortgage rates have gone from about 6.35% for a five-year fixed rate to 5.5%, which is a pretty good amount uh change there just in the last six months. And that's even without rates coming down. And so you're seeing that because fixed mortgage rates are forward-looking. Um, they are thinking, well, where are our rates going and how can we remain competitive with our competitors um, compared to a variable rate? A five-year variable six months ago was 68 And it's still about 6.8. So they're going to rely on interest rates being lowered by the Bank of Canada. And that just, it just hasn't happened yet. They're hoping that it's going to happen this year. And they're very projecting that. And that's why you're seeing the fixed ones come down. But you're really not seeing that on the variable side yet. But um, to qualify for a mortgage, the stress test is about 7.85 to 8.8% just to qualify for a mortgage right now. So it's, it's tough to even get the down payment for a house, but to qualify for the mortgage is also tough to do too. And you're looking at these mortgages and you're thinking, wow, well, the mortgage is such a high interest rate. Do I really want to buy? And it's not the worst thing to do right now because the overall house cost is also down as well. And it's, it's hit that break even point that or even could be on the beneficial side that instead of that. million house that really wasn't getting you something outstanding in many areas that now it's down to nine to even a million dollars. So you're not having to get as big of a debt and you're getting the same house, but you're getting it at a higher interest rate. And that does scare people off the sidelines. But now that they're protecting people to get lower interest rates, you're seeing some people jump off the sidelines and get into the housing market. So you will start seeing housing market likely go up and um, that's obviously a forecast but if people do have to foreclose their mortgages it could go the other way so canada does have a little a little tightrope to walk compared to the u.s but let's if we take an example here that you buy a million dollar house and interest rates were between um about if they were about three percent you put twenty percent down and now you have eight hundred thousand dollar mortgage your monthly payment's going to be thirty seven eighty five a month and after five years you're down you're uh, down to 683000 remaining on your mortgage. And now if you look at current conditions, you can buy a house at 20% cheaper at 800000 and you put 20% down, uh, $160,000. So you have a $640,000 mortgage at 5.6% interest. Your monthly payment is $3,906, and after that five years, you have $570,000 owing which leaves you a huge difference between having that $640,000 mortgage and, uh, sorry, that 683000 remaining and having 570000 remaining. And now mortgage rates should likely be down at that point, And you're going to be getting, you're going to have a lower interest rate and a lower debt. So people who are afraid of the higher interest rate, not necessarily should be because you're going to have a much lower debt than you would have if, uh, if you were to buy back then. But, Another thing people are asking about right now are variable mortgages, and I'm getting this a lot right now because people, they want to get the best bang for their buck and they, everyone hearing that the variable rates are going to come down as the interest rates do, but it's also been a really scary word to even mention the last year up to two years. It's been very common uh, that people opted into these during COVID and it was a little bit greedy at the time because you're seeing people at fixed rate getting 2% and variable was one and a half to 1.8 and they thought that was a great deal. But um, it's very common for people that opted that, that their monthly cost right now is actually double. It could be double in terms of their mortgage rate, um, it's of their payment, or many variable rate holders have a mortgage with fixed payments. And as these interest rates rose, their mortgage payments stayed the same, but the amount of principal they paid each month decreased and the amount of interest paid went up. So some of these borrowers have have their seen their amortization stretch out to a point that their payments are almost interest only. Like imagine having your monthly payment right now and it's just strictly interest. You don't you you have the same debt and your interest it, the amount you're paying is not knocking it down at all. It's that's even worse. Like that you may as well be renting at that point. At least renting is not going to cost you as much. And you're not you're, you're not paying the bank, you're paying someone else that's paying down their mortgage.
2: Yeah, it's amazing how things have changed. You you go from this like party going on where everybody was lining up to buy overpriced houses with low interest rates. And now it's actually a good time to look at buying. In fact, if you were looking to move up, like upscale your house, say you went from a million dollar house to a $1.2 million house. It's a good opportunity because, you know, since uh, in the last year or so, both houses have dropped about twenty percent. Well, the one point two million dollar house has dropped two hundred forty thousand, where the million dollar house has dropped uh, two hundred thousand. So you're actually forty thousand ahead by you know saying like, you go, know, I'm going to buy a bigger house at this stage, which wasn't the case a couple years ago. So definitely a bit of a buyer's market, and along with what you're saying, Mitch, uh, you know the stress tests. And everything else, it, it's 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 a time to think about. If you're looking at uh, saying I want to upskill or get a bigger house, this, now might be the time.
3: Yeah, and a, another good strategy that we've been uh, seeing that we were suggesting about six months ago was actually to um, to get into the housing market and to just get in, into a two per, a two year mortgage instead of locking into a five. And so, if we take a million dollar house and you put twenty percent down. And have that 800000 in both of these scenarios for your mortgage. Uh, one strategy people should consider, like I said, was taking that two year fixed rate. And they're gonna be higher um, than a five year fixed rate. But after that two years, if you lock into that, you're gonna get a much lower rate just based off of that the fixed year rates are going down right now. So this, this strategy is looking better all the time. Interest rates are expected to go down soon. You've already seen the last six months go from 6.35 to 5.5 for a five-year fixed rate. So if you were to lock into an $800,000 mortgage six months ago at 6.35 versus locking into a five and a half interest rate, um, $800,000 right now, the monthly cost difference is $357 a month, which is about $4,300 a year. And over those five years, that's $21,420 just by having that 0.85 difference in your interest rate. So this is why we haven't been suggesting locking into a five-year fixed right now. It just, it just isn't the time to do so. And with the proper advice, you're going to save thousands. Um, Clearly if you just waited about six months, it'd be about 21,000 in savings. So people who are sitting on the sidelines um, being patient are, are kind of paying off right now because they're, they're not locking into that rate. But the example that I wanted to mention was, Locking in for two years instead of five. So if you lock in for five years at five and a half, five and a half percent, and in five years your mortgage of eight hundred thousand is worth at the end seven hundred eighteen thousand. Example two: you lock in for two years at six point one nine, and then you lock into a three year at four and a half percent, which is not unreasonable to think we get there. They're expecting a hundred basis points reduction for the second half of twenty twenty four, and a hundred basis points sometime in twenty twenty five. So that'd be about 2% lower. So we could see a three-year uh, fixed rate get to 4.5%. I don't think that's unreasonable. And so if you do that for two years at 6.19 and you do three years at 4.5, the balance of your mortgage will actually be 711000 So just from having some strategic planning in your mortgage right there, the same mortgage start, so right now, it would be about $7,000 in difference just by having some mortgage planning, which... Hasn't been exactly something common to plan for um, up until COVID, when rates went dramatically down, and then post-COVID <laughs> rates go dramatically up. It was mm-hmm. pretty, pretty standard that okay, well here here are the rates, and where, you can go five year or you can go short term, you can go variable, you can go fixed. It wasn't necessarily too much strategy going in there.
2: And you know what? It's interesting. We talk about. You know, money in general, mortgage rates, and, and payments. And we always, people are not really looking at the big picture when they're buying houses during this COVID area. It was purely emotional. And and there's like a competition to buy a house. So you had to just go in sight unseen at cases and bid up prices, all sorts of things. But when you're talking about saving $5,000 for using a strategy, that's 5000 after tax. So you think about it. Okay, you're making a hundred and twenty thousand a year. Well, you're in a forty-three percent tax bracket. You have to make nine thousand dollars to come up to save that extra five grand. That five thousand is an an awful lot of money that can make a difference in your to, your total retirement plan. And you can use that strategy even further and say, well, let's take that five thousand savings and what do we do with that now? RSPs, kids' education, what have you? There's so many things you can do with that five thousand.
3: Yeah. I mean, you're talking five thousand so dollars. You can almost when uh, I mean, you're talking RESP's, which you could max two kids RESP's for that, right? Exactly, so, and
2: twenty percent savings. There, a thousand dollars grant money, and then help fund for their kids going to school. You know, all these things that the you know, they all really add up. And I and not to say five thousands isn't a lot, but you start compounding it and using government grant money and you know what you can do with that. Yeah, if you just waste it on different things, so be it. But there's so many things you can do, and this is where having a financial planner to kind of give you some strategy and, and a you know a, a schematic of your financial plan in front of you can make a world of difference.
1: We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Don Fox and Mitch Fox are here from Fox Group Private Wealth Management. You can find out more at donfox.net. You can call them at IG Private Wealth Management at 905-972-7420. Going to take a quick break here. We're coming back.
0: You are listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of 900 CHML.
1: We are planning our financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Don Fox and Mitch Fox are here from Fox Group Private Wealth Management. You can find out more at DonFox.net. You can call them at IG Private Wealth Management at 905-972-7420. The big question, to RSP or not? Yeah, it's, uh, it's kind of funny. You, you
2: go back in history and it, there'd be ads in the, uh, the news and TV, radio, newspapers all over and all RSP ads this time yeah. of year. And you're not seeing that this year or actually for that matter, the last few years. And really, why would you ignore an RSP? Well, you know what? There's both sides to this. I'm actually going to go on both. Should you get an RSP or shouldn't you? And there's a lot to consider. First of all, Let's do what an RSP, what is an RSP? It's really a tax deferral vehicle. You save tax now, you pay tax later. That's it. It's pretty <laughs> simple. You know, and we, I know we get caught up in the name, reg, registered retirement savings plan. So everybody thinks, well, it's just for our, is for our retirement. It, yes, it could be for that. And so it does save tax at your tax bracket. So whatever income you're at, you you save tax at that. So, if you make, say, between 100 and 150, for argument's sake, you're likely in about a 43% tax bracket. You put $10,000 into an RSP, you save $4,300. Okay. Very straightforward. But of course, when you pull the money out of the RSP, it's then added to your income and it could be added to your tax bracket at that time. That is really what it is in a nutshell. But it makes a lot of sense. And the nice thing is, is both any gains on your investments are sheltered. So, you don't have to pay tax on an annual basis. Great from a deferral. So, if you're young, you can put money into these and you're investing those funds and then you do not pay tax on any of the growth until you start to pull the funds out. And likely, the idea on paper is you might be in a lower tax bracket. Of course, that's, not, that's if you're not working with the Fox team, right, Mitch? Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> we love people to make a lot of money while they're working and have a fantastic retirement and then still be in a high tax bracket later and have that worry. Oh, boy, I'm in a high tax bracket at retirement. Boo-hoo.
3: It's a good complaint to have, isn't it?
2: Yeah, it's a tough one. Um, And that is actually a great problem to have, but we'll worry about that down the road. Now, the other side with RSPs, if you don't use them, you don't lose them. Meaning your RSP contribution room just doesn't disappear. It carries forward. It's It's a great thing. Uh, so you can save it for the time it makes more sense, and this is where tax bracket management comes into play. We look at this all the time. We say, "Well, you're you know you're only making fifty now. You're on a uh, you you're projected to make a hundred in four years. Let's save that RSP room until then, and use other use those investments in a different way." So yes, it's uh, it's part of the strategy and it's part of our discussion. It, sh- it used to be simply blind. You simply go put money into it and you save tax. Okay, um, that's pretty much most people did. They didn't actually go through the ramifications of what about paying tax later.
3: So yes, but I do find I do find I do find that the RSP, like especially for novice to beginner investors, is kind of the first account that anyone mentions. It really isn't the TFSA. It definitely is not. The the first home savings account because it's so new, and a lot of them are saving it when they're just starting at thirty to forty thousand, maybe forty-five, and they're not really necessarily taking advantage of that big impact of having the tax bracket management that you're talking about. And now that a lot of these people that I'm referring to are typically in the first home savings account bracket, and now they can actually utilize that because it's basically free RSP room. Mm-hmm. So. Um, I do find that it's the first account people think of is the RSP. And speaking with us, it's usually we usually recommend the other ones because they are beginning and they have that low salary to start.
2: Yeah, for a younger person out of university, first job, sure. few sure. years in, absolutely, there's a lot of advantage of the first-time homebuyer savings account, which again was just new in 23. So now we're looking at 24, and yeah, it, there's a lot of advantages. That's actually one of the competitors of an RSP. Again, a good problem. But uh, and they both um, do earn compound interest. So, like we talked about, any of the growth, you see this compounding effect of money. And as Einstein says, you know, one of the gifts is compounding effect of money. It's 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 absolutely incredible. Now, the opposite also happens: the compounding effect of debt. And we all talk about the compounding of savings, but debt works the same way. And if you're not paying your bills, you start to see your debt get out of control. So again, there's, it's a double-edged sword, compounding effective money. We obviously like to be on the saving side of that. Um, this is actually a huge reason to have RSPs. And this is a th- kind of a throwback from the pension era where most people had pension plans. Your savings are protected against creditors, period. So if you go bankrupt, they cannot go after your RSPs. Your other accounts aren't that way yet. Okay, they may make provisions for the first time home buyers, the RESPs, the tax-free savings accounts, but I know the RSPs for sure are are creditor protected. And the reason is, it's like a pension. You put money into them and they do not want somebody to, to not be able to, you know, eat while they're in retirement so if you were a teacher for example a police officer they could never go after your pension so they took those same rules and they applied them to rsps and that's great that is one excellent rule we're not suggesting a lot of people go bankrupt but at the same time you just don't know there's things that go on in life life gets in the way and maybe it's not even your fault but certain things happen so at the end of the day that is a great perk for an rsp um And there's lots of RSP options. You know, it's kind of funny, we go way, way, way back to, again, if you said, Mitch, my day, and people said, what is your RSP (laughs) paying? And I'm going, okay, well, an RSP is a shell. You can put any investment you want into that shell. You can have, and normally what they were considering back 30 some odd years ago is a GIC. So what is your RSP paying really meant, what is your GIC paying, what interest rate, that you'll put inside an RSP. Now, of course, most people are way more sophisticated than that now, and they're looking, what investments can we have inside the RSP and what's the best investment strategy? Funny enough though, we're still getting the question on tax-free savings accounts. What is your tax-free savings account paying? And it's the exact same. You can have any investment you'd like in there, but we do hear that off an awful lot. And again, kind of the reason is the name, tax-free savings account. They still, there's a lot of people still think it has to go into a savings account. It really should be called a tax-free investment account. So again, lots of options with RSPs. Uh, Number six, you can choose self-direct or manage your own um, investment strategy good and bad with this um we've seen a lot of people blow up their rsp blow up their tfsas blow up a lot of things because it's where i i always say we're we're probably not in our dna is to be good investors because we got it's kind of like the people in covid buying houses it it was a it was just this emotional driven what we do if we don't get it now it's going to go up even more next week we better buy now and they're bidding up the prices that happens in the stock markets too and people all of a sudden, we've seen many different, everything from crypto to marijuana stocks to uh, tech boom, tech, Japanese, Asian stocks, you know, and they all have their cycle. But some of them don't ever get back, you know, depending on what you buy. So being a self-directed investor is not as easy as it looks. And so usually people are choosing a money-managed product, where there could be an ETF, an exchange-traded fund, which there's no management manager, but you're buying the whole market, or you are buying a managed product where you have a fund manager, and they're buying and selling stocks. Now the not other good thing is you can withdraw the an RSP early to buy a house, and you still have the Home Buyer Savings Plan, which is up to thirty-five thousand. So it's it is that tug of war right now between Home Buyer Savings Plan, the new one or the old one. And depending on where you are in the home buying, you know, it, still it might be better on the, using the old plan uh, because you may not have enough money uh, under the new plan. So this is uh, uh, something you should speak to your financial planner about. And RSP uh, deductions are deferrable. A lot of people don't know this. If let's say you got an inheritance and you got a hundred thousand dollars, you can put a hundred thousand into your RSP if you have that much room. So, assuming you had never made a contribution, you got 100,000 of room and you put 100,000 in the RSP. Might not be the best thing tax wise. And let's say you make 130,000 a year. You may actually be best to put just 30,000 into an RSP that year, but you put the whole 100 in. Well, you're allowed to, but you don't have to claim it all. You can just claim 30,000 this year and save the other 70,000 for the following year. And then you'll use another 30 the following year, another 30 the following year. So you can put the whole amount in, but decide the amount you want to claim each year. And the money's still growing while it's sitting there, it's still invested. So this is actually a good way to protect you from yourself. Because quite frankly, if it's in an RSP, you're probably not going to pull it out. But if you put it into a TFSA, for example, or just an investment, you might you might be
3: tempted to pull those funds out. Another good thing that <clears throat> we save RSP room for is people with rental properties. They're typically not going to want to keep these rental properties forever. They're tough to manage and what what who in their eighties and nineties wants to deal with tenants. So they're <laughs> dealing with these properties and many people have bought these at three to 500,000, they're grown to a million. And maybe when they sell them a million and a half, and then they have these massive capital gains. And instead of saving, if they're making eighty to a hundred thousand, we're actually saving their RSP room for when they have those big capital gains of five hundred thousand dollars. Because you're going to get a bigger bang for your buck using your RSP room at fifty-three and a half percent than you are at thirty to forty percent. So yeah. that's another thing that we're using RSP room for. That's a great
2: point, I and mean, that could be a cottage, it could be a rental property where there's a big capital gain looming. You can use that RSP room to offset that big capital gain. And now I've done that a number of times with clients, with the rental properties, as you mentioned. Again, there's still the age deadline of age 71 um, or your spouse's age on a spousal RSP of age 71. So you do have to take that into account, but it is part of the overall plan. And uh, and again, kind of going with the spousal again, it's one of those ones a lot of people forget about. It's a great way to income split. You can put money into... Your spouse's RSP, you get the tax deduction, he or she pull, pays the tax on the way out. Now, a lot of people say, well, big deal. We get to income split when we're 65 anyway. Well, what if you retire at 60? This gives you some options. And and I, I, I've used this a number of times to give the spouse quite often who isn't working anymore, may have retired early and give that person an income. And finally, RSPs are sticky. They are sticky. People do never cash in RSPs because they don't want to pay tax on them. So I look at it as an RSP is it's a, definitely a good for savings account. And other options aren't so sticky. People get tempted. There's all sorts of things. And it's not even themselves sometimes. It's their kids. The kids say, can I borrow $50,000? Well, if it's in a tax-free savings account, they'll pull it out. But if it's in an RSP, Even the kids say, oh, yeah, you shouldn't touch that money because you don't want to pay all that tax. It truly
1: is very sticky, and that might be the biggest benefit of all. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Don Fox and Mitch Fox are there from Fox Group Private Wealth Management. You can find out more at donfox.net. You can call them at IG Private Wealth Management at 905-972-7420. Going to take a quick break here. We're coming back.
0: You are listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of 900 CHML.
1: We are planning our financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Don Fox and Mitch Fox are here from Fox Group Private Wealth Management. You can find out more at DonFox.net. You can call them at IG Private Wealth Management. At 905-972-7420. All right. Family Day weekend coming up. Uh, uh or as it approaches, conversations you should be having with your 20-year-old. Is this gonna go? <laughs> is this gonna end up in a bun fight? <laughs>
3: <laughs> well, yeah, we're in the big family day weekend here. Holiday in February. Scott, you have any plans with your family this weekend?
1: uh yeah i'm gonna try to get away from them as far as i can no no (laughs) i'm just kidding i'm kidding light up the barbecue
3: well if if you do find some time with them i've got some topics here maybe you guys can go over if you feel like it and the first one is to consider and possibly rewrite your money story which is one of the most important things to consider when you start your financial planning is your money mindset what is your relationship to the money uh, for example, are you a spender, a saver? Do you consider it scarce or abundant? And how does how does that shape how you treat it? What beliefs about money do you have? And do you follow? Uh, many people see money as means of control and and also how possibility of doing stuff or maybe even if they have an abundance, they may even call it willy nilly. <laughs> and uh, he's uh, these can be shaped from young ages and when people are in their 20s that's really when they start are going to start earning money it's the habits that were formed possibly in the last 10 years maybe from 10 to 20 that were shaped that and might shape their whole mindset and their whole relationship with money so over this family day it is it could be something that you want to talk to about your to your children or even your university students or graduates about what their relationships with money are and at the end of the day, you're, you're forming these small habits over time, and these are going to form into unconscious decisions that become your lifestyle. Nothing ever starts big. It starts with something small, maybe putting away $100 a month into your FHSA or your TFSA, or right now, I know Don just talked about RSPs, so maybe you're putting into RSPs before the end of February, or maybe even matching your work pension plan, all these things Are things that you need to do and stuff that we talk to our clients regularly and also with our clients kids i know i'm meeting with a lot of them and that's because their parents are doing a great job of getting them in to start these habits young because they know that starting young is what builds that big habit that are going to last for the rest of their lives and so the next thing you need to do here is to understand your inflows versus your outflows so once you understand your feelings about money and how they may help or hurt your finances. You need to start building a solid financial f- foundation for the future. Here. So, understanding how much money you have coming in, uh, and ensuring that it's more than how much you're spending, it, it sounds really simple. Uh, but this is something that we go through pretty much, pretty much every meeting with our clients. Is what are you spending, and what are you spending it on, and how much how much are you bringing in, and we need to make sure that you are uh, spending less than you're bringing in because that really creates the opportunity of what you can do into putting into different accounts and creating that retirement plan, estate plan, uh, buying a house, all of these goals that are lifetime goals. They don't start with just, they happen in one day. It builds over time. So it does sound simple. Um, we as financial planners do simplify complicated things and sometimes it's tough to really rein in the spending but if you're looking just at the us right now they topped one trillion dollars last year in um in total credit card debt like that that is an absolute ton of credit card debt and that just means that their outflows are not (laughs) not uh, overcoming their inflows they're not making Mm -hmm. as much as they should right so a trillion you have to... trillion, that is an awful lot of money. You can't even
2: can't even imagine what a trillion is. So yes, that is uh that's a lot of credit card debt.
3: It'd be pretty cool to see a trillion dollars in cash just in a safe. And then <laughs> if you're showing a photo to this to like someone and being like, this is all of Americans' debt.
2: <laughs> <Like> that's <laughs> just would... crazy. Yeah, it would be massive. It would fill lots of football stadiums in cash. So that is a lot of debt. And you're right. You know what? Um, funny enough, uh, credit card companies are are doing quite well financially.
3: Shocking, absolutely <laughs> shocking. I'm I'm sure uh, I'm sure Taylor Swift's on her way to a trillion dollars as we say this. So who knows? <laughs> but it, I know it can sound tough to really stop buying what you're buying and to put money away, but I mean, if you're really thinking about it, if you can, instead of spending $200 going out and going out for dinner and having drinks or whatever with your friends, I'm sure you can have fun for $100. And the next day, you're, you're going to probably have just as much fun thinking about it. And you can put that $100 towards a TFSA and RSP, And that's really going to grow. Um, so if you were to put away $200 a month for 10 years, so if you started at age 20 and you did $200 a month for 10 years all the way to age 30, and then you just, you stopped. You absolutely just stopped completely, which we don't recommend, but for this example, I'm gonna just show you the power of doing this, um, versus starting at age 30 and putting it away for 30 years. So you've put it away for three times more. You've put away $72,000 versus putting away $24,000. At age 60, your $24,000 would be $213,000. And at age 60, that's $72,000 would be about $217,000. So you put in 3 times less and you have roughly the same amount. And that's just how things work. The compound interest is your best friend. I know Don just said this, but it really is. And just starting young, and I know it's family day weekend, so maybe mention it to your university students or or any of your young young adult children that hey, you know what? I know you're maybe making some money here and you're having fun, but let's let's make sure you're putting some away too, so that you can have some money for stuff and maybe not living in their house till you're 40. <laughs> that's a good, that's a good,
1: com- that's a good conversation for you to bring up just usually when they're asking for the car keys or some money, maybe. Yeah, yeah, or, <laughs> or, or fifty thousand dollars. <laughs> there you go. All right, we are planning our financial future. I'm Scott Thompson, Don Fox, and Mitch Fox are here from Fox Group Private Wealth Management. Find out more at donfox.net. Call them at IG Private Wealth Management. Quick break. Our last segment coming up.
0: You are listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of 900-CHML.
1: We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Don Fox and Mitch Fox are here from Fox Group Private Wealth Management. You can find out more at donfox.net. You can call them at IG Private Wealth Management at 905-972-7420. All right, ending the show with reasons not to RSP this season. (laughs) Yes, and you know what? If this is confusing,
2: I just finished going over reasons why to contribute to an RSP Now I'm going to go over reasons not to. And it's that's what's hard when you're a, a consumer and you are simply googling different things and you're trying to get advice based on some people's opinions, even this was confusing when I read it. So first of all, number one reason, first first home buyer savings plan, the FHSA. That is new, it came out last year as we talked about. And it is really a combination of an RSP contribution on the way in where you get a tax deduction and a TFSA on the way way out where you don't have to pay tax at all and you don't have to repay it unlike the home buyer savings plan in the past. Fantastic account, we've talked about them before. So, but you do have to qualify. So if you do qualify for this, um, meaning you haven't owned a home for the previous four years or never owned a home at all, um, yes, this is a good reason not to put money into an RSP. And again, the limit is $8,000. Uh, this one here is kind of interesting. If you don't already have an emergency fund or other investments that are liquid. Well, I read this, I'm thinking, well, an RSP is actually not a bad emergency fund. If you become unemployed and your income is now dropped, now you can pull money hours out of your RSP, take funds out at a lower tax bracket. So there is occasions where an RSP is kind of an emergency fund, not that we like to think of it that way, but it's fantastic unemployment insurance. But on a normal way, uh, yeah, you you may want to keep some cash around just so you don't go into debt. And that that's you know everybody's got a different figure. That might be four thousand, it might be ten thousand. It depends on your lifestyle. Now number three, if you make roughly hundred thousand dollars or less, you maybe should look at. TFSAs or the FHSA and yes there is some truth to that maybe the TFSA might be better Uh, maybe saving your RSP room for later would make some sense and we talked about that earlier in the show it's always that debate so there is competing investment products the TFSA RSP and the FHSA what is the best solution for you? Uh, Don't do this by yourselves, folks. This is, this is difficult to figure it out. And there's, you've got to bring out your tax return. You have to look at your potential income. Lots of questions go through, but I would suggest, you know, a hundred thousand or less, eh, maybe you're in a 30, you're still in a 33% tax bracket. Most people are in a 33% bracket or less later when they retire. So potentially, um, you may not want to make an RSP contribution, but, uh, as we talked about earlier, it's um, saving money for a big uh, tax on a capital gain. Then you may want to save the RSP room for that. So there is something to be said about that. Um, so if you're not in a high bracket, hundred thousand or less, you may want to consider the other other products. Here's one here: uh, if you plan to simply spend the extra money from an RSP, you shouldn't do one. Well, that one I totally disagree with. Okay, because why not put money in RSP and and blow? At least you got some money invested because a lot better than just simply blowing the money and not putting money away. So this is kind of odd, but yes, I think the gist of this was simply, yes, you should maybe think about the RESP for the kids or saving or paying down debt. So there's a lot of better avenues, but at least an RSP is forcing you to save. Um, Number five being you have unpaid debt, pay down that debt first and then start to save later. Yes and no. I would say more to the no side, depending if it's credit card debt or high interest debt in general. But if you just have um, you know, a mortgage or a car loan, et cetera, you'll never get any savings put away if you always wait for the time you're out of debt. Because most people are very good at paying down debt, but they're not good at saving. So I would, again, if it isn't credit card debt or really you know, high interest debt, I would still put money into the RSP. I would take the tax savings. And apply it to the debt, uh, refund. Um, if you have kids that qualify for the extra RSP or uh, ESP grants, well, are ESPs, as we talked about earlier, um, great way to throw some extra money into the RSP or ESPs. And yes, you could get an extra five hundred dollars of grant room, but it's that combination: looking after your kids' education or retirement. Hmm. I'd still look at retirement first and. RESP second. Um, If we plan to buy a home, then you gotta look at, okay, the FHSA, or do you look at the old home buyers? That's still around, as we discussed. So depending on where you are and how close you're gonna be, how soon you'll be buying a home, you may still wanna look, put money into an RSP, pull it out under the old program. And uh, it's paying down debt in general. But like I said, paying down debt is, is great. It's a good way to increase your net worth. As I said compound interest, as we talked about earlier, works both ways. It works as an investment and it works against is for debt. You can go down that slippery slope. But having a strategy, having an actual plan, what should you do? RSPs, TFSAs, RESPs, there's so many acronyms, but what do you do? Paying down debt is one of them. But the whole idea is having an actual financial plan,
1: and that will dictate. Should you or shouldn't you RSP this year? One size doesn't fit all. All right. We have been planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Don Fox and Mitch Fox have been here from Fox Group Private Wealth Management. You can find out more at DonFox.net. You can call them at IG Private Wealth Management at 905-972-7420.
0: The preceding was a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of 900CHML.